Hello and welcome to episode 100. That is right, we are in triple digits, folks. Episode 100 of the Batflip Crazy podcast, where you'll always find enthusiastic, data-driven fantasy baseball analysis and strategy. I am your host, Toby. Uh, Today is episode 12, I believe, of the uh, Bubba and the Batflip podcast. So I will be joined uh, by Bubba shortly, and we are going to be going over our hits and misses for the first base and third base position from this past season. So taking a look at guys that we were right on um, before the season and then guys that we missed and a little bit of a discussion about how that, uh, why we thought that happened. We'll recap the position from this past year and then at the end of the podcast, we will take a look at what to expect uh, from first base and third base moving forward. Uh, Definitely a really, really uh, fun show. Uh, But I just want to take an opportunity to thank all of you who are listening for making this podcast possible. Uh, Getting to episode 100 is kind of crazy. Uh, I remember when I first started the podcast, I believe my first episode was analyzing Wilson Contreras and uh, Manny Margot. It's kind of crazy to think kind of a year and a half ago when I started the podcast that we would be at this point with 100 and kind of how the show has evolved and I think, um, you know, really kind of changed and hopefully brought uh, more and more value as kind of learned how to do podcasting, hopefully uh, a little bit better and have covered topics that are hopefully of more interest to all of you or are more helpful to you in thinking about uh, your uh, analysis and, and the players that we cover. So just a huge thank you to all of you Uh, for listening, for all of your support, for kind of encouraging me and letting me know that you appreciate the content, or if you don't like the content, not letting me know that you hate it and that I should never do podcasting again. So just a huge shout out to all of you for listening. I really, really appreciate that. It's awesome to hit uh, episode 100. I'm looking forward to the next uh, 100 uh, episodes um, as uh, as we move forward with this. So thank you so much for being a part of my Uh, fantasy baseball community really really uh, appreciate it Uh, you can reach me as always on twitter at batflip crazy you can also give the podcast a five-star rating and review if you'd like to uh, on itunes uh, if you haven't already but again i'm just super super appreciative to all of you for listening it's uh it's been an awesome uh, 100 episode run so thank you for that all right let's get this party started And welcome back, everybody, to Bubba and the Bat Flip, episode 12. After a couple weeks off, we are back to talk some corner infield from the 2019 season with a little look ahead to 2020. You can find me on Twitter at BDintrick and the Bat Flip portion of the Bubba and the Bat Flip. You can find on Twitter at Bat Flip Crazy. Toby, how are we doing, my friend? We are doing good, Bubba. I am, I'm in Philadelphia right now for a work conference. And so um, I, I mentioned this on this week but i love hopping around in different places to record the podcast that is my goal to uh, record the podcast in all 50 states so we'll see okay sure we have to bump the time a little bit um uh that is awesome i've had two straight days of customized ice cream sandwiches so i'm in great shape how are you doing good good i was wondering i saw that picture i was wondering where you had that at so customized ice cream sandwiches that sounds like a rough little trip you're on there <laughs> it's tough if you are in Philadelphia, there's a place called Insomnia Cookies, 
which is also open until 3 p.m. They are or 3 a.m. on Sunday nights, and I think like every day. Um, and I, they have not sponsored the podcast, but if you are in Philadelphia, check out Insomnia Cookies. They have ice cream. They have cookies. They warm the cookies up. They put the ice cream in the middle, and then you eat it. Yesterday, I had double mint chocolate chip cookies with mint chip in the middle. Today, I mixed it up with a little peanut butter cookie action with moose tracks in the middle, which was actually got complimented by the person we're, uh, working behind the, the counter who was just like, man, that's a good combo. And That sounds so, amazing. If you ever need guidance on creating uh, an ice cream sandwich, you know where to come, people. Yeah, that's awesome. Like uh, now, now I realize that now that you explain it, what it is, San Luis Obispo. I know people don't really care about all this, but mm. they, they opened a place like that about two years ago. And we found it just walking home from a bar one night, and it's open super oh. late. And talk about late night food. That was like money, like you said. And what makes them is that is the cookies are warm. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's like huge. It's absolutely fantastic. Like literally, I was joking around that I, I should turn my Twitter into fantasy baseball and uh customized ice cream sandwiches because when i was in hawaii i also like made a side trek to get um uh i just love i love cookies i love ice cream i love fantasy baseball but i love cookies i love ice cream i love putting them together i love eating them if they if you could just add fantasy baseball to the ice cream sandwich and i could eat it all at one time it would it'd be the best thing ever bat flip ice cream cookie crazy like we found it we found the calling <laughs> for sure i mean like what's what's wrong with that scenario like ice cream fantasy baseball that is the pinnacle the pinnacle of existence i didn't realize i had to come to philadelphia uh to to reach the pinnacle of existence but i have well it makes sense you know rocky went there and found his his pinnacle of existence so you had to find yours in philadelphia it only makes sense <laughs> There you go. Uh, I'm, I'm going to need to do similar training to, to burn off these, uh, these, these, these cookies. I'm going to have to find some stairs. I'm going to have to put on some real sweaty sweats and just like go to work. There you go. Well, let's get to work on recapping the 2019 corner infield. We're going to go not super, super deep, but uh, we're going to go three, three first basemen that we got right. Three first basemen we got wrong. Same with third base, uh, right and wrong as well. But before we get into that, we can do it real briefly. Did you have any overall thoughts on the corner infield position? Because, you know, you go into the season and in the old days, first base was always deep and then this and that. Like I used to, like lately to me, third base has been deeper than normal. First base is kind of getting shallow because it's kind of crappy. And then it's kind of, there's a gap. And then the late round corner infield seems like it's pretty good. Like where you have the Josh Bells and everything, but there was definitely a gap where it got ugly, um, you know, so long ago, but do you remember anything that might maybe stood out as uh, with the corner infield position this past season for you? Um, you know, um, I think first base, like you mentioned, is just, it's a little bit of a, it's not even top heavy. It's like Freddie Freeman and Cody Bellinger. And then, you know, just not a lot of great, great profiles. Um, and I don't think like a ton of, a ton of value necessarily. Um, you know, like, like this past year, um, I think, well, there was a lot of value this past year, but just like looking at the position, there's just not a lot to love. And I think particularly, you know, one thing that I focus on a lot on the podcast, like since I'm focused on Roto and kind of deeper leagues is, is what, what are they doing for batting average and stolen bases? And so the scarce, scarcest categories, and it really like Bellinger is the only guy like Danny Santana, I think is kind of a nice value. 
um, obviously was this year when you could plug him in at first base with the stolen bases. But outside of those two, like you're not really um, getting a ton. And so I think you have a lot of similar profiles where you have some power, you have some RBI. Um, you hope the batting average doesn't hurt you. But it's a really limited position. Third base is a little bit deeper, but I really don't. I think deep at third base is um, it just doesn't look just doesn't look great. I don't think. Um, and so I'll talk a little bit more about that as we get into like heading into next year, but there's a little bit of depth at third base, but I don't love a lot of like the later, um, the later options, if that makes sense. No, it makes total sense. It's like, I was looking back at my rankings from last year and I'm like, okay, at, at third base, I could go deeper than I could at first base. But it, I guess that also coincides like what you were saying of how shallow the, the peak of first base is compared to where what everything else is. And I guess we'll we'll get into that. So we'll start with the first base position and we'll talk about three guys we got right. So it's kind of like the, what we did with um, kind of surprises and disappointments that we've done before, but we're going to focus more on the corner infield positions. And starting with first base, what is one of the first basemen going into the last season that you got correct? Yeah, I mean, first base wasn't great overall, I think, um, for me. Uh, maybe I'm being a little bit hard on myself, but the first person I have there is actually Freddie Freeman. I know it's kind of bogus to claim a bunch of uh, credit for getting Freddie Freeman right, but through, you know, I know there was the huge debate, like, is Freddie Freeman the number one first baseman? Is um, Paul Goldschmidt uh, the top first baseman? And for me, it was Freeman all the way. And so I had him in the number one spot. And, you know, he didn't finish there because Bellinger just had an, a super good season. But I think if you if you track Freddie Freeman, you're pretty happy um, about it. And I don't want to look foolish, but I also was touting the fact that um, uh, Freddie Freeman had been stealing more bases than Goldschmidt as well. Um, you know, not not the last past two seasons, but they've been going in different directions. And so that was one of the reasons why I liked Freeman more was because I thought he would steal more bases. And it wasn't a blowout. It was six to three with Freeman more stolen bases, but the fact that, uh, you know, I got those pieces right, given that there weren't, there wasn't a ton of success I had this year at first base necessarily. Um, I'm going to count that as my, as my number one victory. And I think, um, going into next year, I think, you know, Bellinger is obviously the, the number one, I think at this point, um, I think I like Freeman more than Bellinger probably. Um, but you know, I, I think, uh, I think that was, that was a hit if you will. How about you? Yeah, one of my, one of my hits, and I guess these aren't going to be completely in order, but just kind of looking back on things. Uh, Matt Olson, go, uh, pulling up my rankings from last year, I had him as my fifth first baseman off the board. And if you look at uh, the Rasball player rate, he finished 13th overall. And I'll still take that as a victory, considering he missed like over a month of the season with a handmade injury that he suffered in Japan and still managed to get 36 home runs in 127 games with the handmade injury, which many usually say is – you know, career ending or season ending for power wise and all that. He had 267 on the year, which was, which was big for Matt Olson. And maybe the bouncy ball came into play because you look at uh, the 2020 steamer numbers and they basically have him going uh, 37 home runs in 150 games. So 13 more games, only uh, one more home run. Pretty similar numbers, actually, as you saw in a lower batting average than he had this year. So I don't know if steamer say, is saying, you know, they're not going to have the bouncy ball or whatnot, but exit velocity, 94th percentile, 98th percentile hard hit rate 
all the X stats jump off the board for medals. And the dude's been a, ba- a masher and, and a guy that I've been on for the last few years. And I think the, the power is the sky is the limit for this guy playing in Oakland. Uh, you can get him super late. Like if, if you want well, super late, but if you waited on a guy like Matt Olson, you could sneak him, you know, fifth, sixth round, maybe even later, depending on, on what leagues you were in, what formats you were in and really take advantage of that. So like if you went pitching heavy early, you can get the power with Matt Olson later on. And the fact he threw in a 267 average was tremendous. So Matt Olson would be a guy that I was very, very high on last year. I'll be very, very high on again this next year. And um, sadly, I think more people will be on to him this year, next year as well. But he's a guy that I, I still think there's a lot more to come with him. I think he's got 40 plus home run potential. He's only 25 years old. Uh, the ballpark is kind of a hindrance, of course. But if they keep that bouncy ball out there, which we've talked about before, Reports are looks like it'll be a similar ball this next year. You you never know until we see it. But if they keep that bouncy ball, he's got 40-plus home runs pretty easily for me. So I like Matty Olsen as one that I got correct. Yeah, that's a great one. And and the the thing that's a little crushing about him, like if you didn't get him, is if you were drafting later on or kind of, you know, I know he ended up on the waiver wire in some places because of the injury. And I know that in, in later drafts that happened after Seattle, um played their uh, the, the A's played their first game like you could have had him in you know round whatever it was and so the fact that you were on to him and, and kind of stuck with him I think is uh is quite the victory yeah no I, I got lucky I, I remember having people come on bench with Bubba last year saying oh yeah you can drop him because guys lose their power and I had him in TGFBI and I never dropped him once once he came back healthy I had him and uh another guy we'll talk about shortly teamed up together which was very very nice so who's your number two? He looks familiar. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think you also uh, got him. Um, Jose Abreu uh, was another hit for this year. I had him as my number five first baseman um, ahead of Joey Votto, who was one of my misses, uh, Joey Gallo, Matt Olson, um, uh, my, Matt Carpenter, Jesus Aguilar, other folks like that. Um, and I can't remember exactly where he ended up ADP-wise in drafts, maybe around like pick 80 or something like that, but I got him in a few places. Um, I wasn't too concerned because I thought that the, um, you know, the major piece holding him back in 2018 was the series of injuries uh, that he had. And so I was expecting a rebound and we certainly uh, got that 33 home runs, 123 RBI, a 284 batting average. Um, overall, the metrics were solid, you know, like pretty much what he has done in the past. If anything, you know, his contact rate stayed pretty much the same, but he did strike out, um, you know, 2% more than he had uh, the previous season and above his career average. And so we, there's not really a sign in the uh, metrics that I'm looking at as to why that increase would have happened. So we may see that go back down. Um, and then the, the home runs, 33 home runs with a pretty high ground ball rate of 46.3%. Uh, I think there's still a lot of juice left in the bat. I think there's some even upside um, depending on what the ball looks like, but I think he's been a really consistent performer when healthy. So, um, you know, the fact to have was great this year. And I think next year he's another guy uh, that I think I'm going to be targeting a lot, especially given where we are in the first base position and how, how thin it really is. Yeah, I I agree. He was my number two as well. I had him eighth in my rankings coming into the season. And one thing I love, I love about Jose Abreu and you mentioned it is consistency something about taking certain picks like Jose Abreu allow you to take chances elsewhere. Uh, outside of that injury 2018 season, like you mentioned, 
He's essentially going for about 30 home runs, 85 to 90 runs scored, 100 plus RBIs, 285 plus average. Like it's all there year after year. And we've seen ceilings of like 300 averages. Like it's consistent. And I absolutely love everything about it. He even struck out more this last year than he pretty much did since 2015. So when you mentioned you mentioned the ground ball rate, there's a lot to like here. The other part that I think is really, really cool is I know it's day one of the hot stove on this Monday, November 4th, but they're already talking about it in Chicago. They're going to do everything they can to bring him back. And I've been preaching that for over a year now in certain shows I've been on because they always said, well, they could trade Abreu and get something back. I said, no, you need this man in that locker room because you have Juan Moncada, you have Eloy Jimenez, you have all these other talented young players, a lot of talented young Latin players that they're going to bring Abreu back, they already said. And I think putting those players around him with more experience now. Imagine uh, uh, the Eloy we saw in the second half now hitting behind Abreu for the entire season. The, the, the different pitches Abreu is going to see for an entire season. You have Yohan Moncada getting on base in front of him. Uh, Tim Anderson's there. All these talented young players around Abreu could only make him better. Like, I, I really like Jose Abreu. I, I will be on him again just like you, you are as well. Um, I think it was, we either talked about him early last year or I heard you talk and I talked to him. Like, he was, he was a favorite player of mine. So the fact he did it again, to me, he's like um, – he's he's kind of like the Nelson Cruz of first basemen uh, in, the, in the consistent sense of things. And uh, he's definitely a guy that I will be looking to target next season. Who is um, your number – th- just yeah. from a news perspective, he he was offered the qualifying. He he received a qualifying qualifying offer today from the White Sox, which is okay. seven a one year seventeen point eight million dollar um yep. you know offer. And so from all all the the chatter I'm seeing online, it sounds like he would be smart to sign that offer. So yep. I'll be really interested to see if he signs that offer or maybe um, he signs for like a three-year, thirty-six million dollar or something like that offer, which you know kind of compensates him for a longer period of time, but maybe lowers the annual annual average value of the contract um, uh, from the team's perspective. So that that it's nice to know that there's probably some certainty uh, with him, um, you know, staying with the White Sox, which I think is going to be an improved lineup for sure. Yeah, no doubt about it. Who is your third one? My third one is I kind of combined two just because I'm I'm creative like that. Um, <laughs> uh, I, there's two guys that kind of fall into the same category, and so I have Jesus Aguilar and Matt Carpenter. I actually didn't have them as far down as they finished, obviously, but I had them below where um, they were going generally in drafts. Um, I had Carpenter as the number nine and Aguilar as the number 10 first baseman, I think. Um, But I didn't have shares of any of them heading into this season. And I think, you know, the one thing that I kind of take away from this is really not paying for a career year. Like when you look at Carpenter, he's been around for a very long time. Um, He last year was clearly the best year that he's had on a number of different fronts. And so I really didn't want to pay the price for the production of 20 um 2018 and i think the thing with a guy like carpenter is he really is he doesn't steal and the batting average isn't great and also has like a ton of downside on the batting average and so that's not a profile that i want to pay for let alone pay for a career year of and i think similarly with aguilar he kind of came out of nowhere um last year especially in the first half but when you look at the the underlying 
numbers. I mean, like he, he certainly made a lot of quality of contact, but his contact skills, if my memory is serving me correctly, deteriorated as the year progressed. And he also had a really high uh, run and RBI rate per plate appearance for some of the underlying metrics. And so they were due some, uh, some negative regression. And so I just, I just didn't love, uh, I just didn't love Aguilar either. So I didn't end up with either of those players. Um, they finished much worse than I think they were ranked overall. I think my rankings were below what kind of the industry standard were. So I'm going to consider both of them kind of similar uh, hits in terms of guys that I didn't own any shares of that were major flops this year. What about you? What's your uh, what's your number three? It's a pretty good one. My number three, I was very, very proud of. He's the one I had paired up with Matt Olson in TGFBI. It'll be the number eight first baseman on the player Raider at Rasball. It is Josh Bell. Uh, this is a guy I absolutely loved. I didn't hear a lot of chatter preseason about him. You can get him super late. I was getting him late in rounds. I wrote about him. I talked about him. I loved what, what his overall profile from the last few years have shown. I figured that he could take the next step. Now, I will agree, the second half was not ideal. But we have seen that from other power hitters before, i.e. Cody Bellinger and others. Not saying he's Cody Bellinger. Just saying mm-hmm. these kids are young and things can happen. And they have to make adjustments. That's that's the beauty of pitching and hitting is uh, making the adjustments and trying to fool the guy again and then having to work off of those adjustments. And Josh Bell is trying to work on that, it looks like. Still had a great season. Um, he's going to be a lot more expensive this year. I had him ranked 15th coming into the season, which I know is a lot higher wow. than most. Way higher, uh, yeah. Yeah, and so I was very, very high on him. And I, I know he's going to probably – I'm actually curious to see where some people come out with him because I haven't done my, my 2020 first base yet. I just finished my top 40 catchers, and that was a, a chore in itself. Wow. But um, you, deserve, yeah. you deserve a yeah. vacation after yeah. that. That was uh, torture. Let's put it that way. But uh, it had to be done for another project that I have coming up. So I took care of that. And once I get to first base, when I, I'm curious to where Bell lands this season because you have to you do have to factor in the second half struggles but still when you're playing roto you see 37 homers 94 runs 116 rbis and a 277 average as good or bad as it might have hurt you in the second half the overall season production is outstanding from a guy you got so late to play corner infield for you that was pretty darn good and he played first base for me when matt olson was on the il so i'm a big josh bell fan it paid off this year now everybody else will so i'll have to get my guys like you know trey mancini who i had ranked 20th coming into the season he was big uh, guys like CJ Crone and some others, but uh, Josh Bell was the guy for me. All right. You sent me a little text here to alert me on something, and Jeff Zimmerman did not take my pick. For those wondering what I'm referring to, I should probably tell you. Um, the pitcher list expert drafts started today on Monday the 4th, and Toby and I are in the same expert draft. It's, we are. Uh, Yes, I think it's like the second mock draft we've been in together. I know <laughs> it's pretty there's nothing, funny. There's nothing that brings people closer together than a mock draft. Yes, especially a slow mock draft. A slow mock draft, and I'm and if I'm wrong on the the specifics here, clarify. But it's a 12 teamer, different type of format. But they said 12 teamer because that's the most common. They they did the research on it. Nick Pollock is as thorough as they come, so I don't question that at all. So it's a 12 teamer, uh, only three outfielders, no middle or corner infield. So rosters are a little different, but it'll still give us a gist of what we have going on. I'm kind of playing it when I'm drafting as if there's a corner in the middle and five outfielders like I normally would. I'm trying to keep that mindset on how I would approach things. But um, I took Christian Yellick with the third pick overall after Acuna and Trout were gone. 
Um, Toby did his pitcher pitcher thing. No surprise there. Pitcher pitcher. Uh, yeah, that did not surprise me one bit. I didn't even have to look at the top of the page. I just saw two reds. I'm like, okay, that's Toby's. <laughs> hey, um, he capped also had two reds. So kudos oh, to him. He's he must be listening to the Bath of Crazy podcast. I'm telling you. <laughs> um, and so it's coming back to me, and I'm going to take a chance here because my next pick will be a pitcher. So with this pick, it might be slightly earlier than most. Ooh, I want. love. I, I think I love what it's going to be. I hope I hope you're right because <laughs> I'm just looking. Me... I'm looking at the draft board right now. Don't tell me. Just make the pick, and I want to see the player pop. He's going to give me power speed combo with some upside. Oh, I thought you were going to go a pitcher. I you no, said I said my next pitch. My next pick. Oh, your third next round pick will be a pitcher. All right. So all right, I go too. with Fernando go Tatis pitcher, pitcher, Jr. Pitcher. You're going to go three Fernando. pitchers. Yeah, I love that. I love the Fernando Tatis Jr. pick right there. Yes, going Fernando Tatis Jr., power speed combo. He, in every mock draft we've done so far, it's either late second, early third. Um, usually I get a speed guy because I haven't drafted from the front. The two previous mocks we've done, I've drafted from the back end of the draft. So I've gotten like Jose Ramirez, Trey Turner. Jeff Zimmerman took Trey Turner fourth overall right behind my Yellick pick. And Zimmerman mm-hmm. said, well, he's got him third overall in the process, so he's got to take him early, which makes sense. Yeah. Um, and that's a discussion well, we can do it at middle infielder next week. Uh, with Trey Turner, because I think there's a lot to kind of weigh out on some of that stuff. But uh, Fernando Tatis Jr., my second pick in the draft, I'm really excited to see what that kid can do this year as his uh, second full season in the bigs. Yeah. Yeah, and I was I was super pleased that at pick eight, I was able to get a little bit of Garrett Cole. So, And it's interesting. There was, a, there was some good back and forth, both in the messages and I think on Twitter. I, I took Cole. Some people prefer DeGrom at this point since we don't know exactly where Cole is going. I'm comfortable with all the places that I've heard Cole rumored to go. And I just think like the K upside is higher than it is for DeGrom. Although I I think, you know, DeGrom has obviously been incredibly consistent over the last two years and is a dominant force. But I think the K the K percentage kind of boosts Cole a little bit over DeGrom for me. And my second pick for the first time in my existence. I drafted Shane Bieber uh, with pick. Um, I can't see it, but what is it? 23, 22, 21, 2019 with pick 18. So I got a Garrett Cole, Shane Bieber uh, combo. Yeah, it's a, the Bieber one didn't surprise me because there's a like uh, Modica took Bueller on the turn. There's, mm. Pitching went early and often. Let's put it that way. For sure. Um, I took Tatis over Chris Sale because I don't trust Chris Sale at all right now. I just, <laughs> I. I, it's almost though if he falls to third round, I might take him, but it's it's hard to uh, to, to grasp. I need to go look a little more at what starting pitchers are there because the guy I want to take there, and I don't think he's available. But since we're on this this sideways note here, let me pull up starting pitchers real quick. Oh man, it's uh, got to be Clevenger, right? Yeah, is he still there? Oh, he is. Uh, he's he's still ranked, available. He's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was debating between oh, Bieber, and, Bieber and Cle- uh, Bieber and Clevenger. Yeah, Clevenger's the guy I want. Yeah. Well, we'll see if he gets back. It's, it's kind of interesting. I expected a little bit more pitcher action because, like, there's zero pitchers taken in the first six picks, and now there's zero pitchers taken from those same first picks in the second round. And there was one, two, three, four, six pitchers taken um, out of the 12 picks in the back half. And so I was expecting maybe a little bit more of a pitcher run to make sure that folks – Kind of got one of the solid pitchers, but um, so far not not the case. It'll be really interesting 
And I think even in 12 team drafts, it points to the fact I really love being up there at the top because, yeah. you know, for me, it's Garrett Cole as number one for the time being. But like, you, wait, I saw, players. I saw you, I saw you tweet that you'd actually take Cole over like Acuna, Trout, and Yellick. Yeah, I think I would. Um, yeah. I think I would. I mean, you know, it's obviously before we know where Cole ends yeah. up. And so, you know, that'll determine a little bit of where I value him in the overall scheme of things. But for me, again, like I just think that starting the, the questions come up so quickly with starting pitchers. Like there's just so few of them that are that are, quote unquote, reliable. Um, and for me, I just really love heavy starting pitching early. And I think you can make up um, you can make up with depth some of the loss of uh, of uh, offensive performance later on in the draft especially in a 12 teamer i just think that like the difference between the top end starters is much bigger than kind of like at least after trout acuna and yelich like the rest of those guys and guys i can pick up in the you know third fourth fifth sixth round i mean i'm literally going to go the next Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. At least the next twelve rounds will be all offense for me. Yeah, I'm curious to see how it plays out. Like, I think we, we've talked about it before. I agree. You need a couple of the good pitchers. So, like, I'll go with one here on the third, and then one for sure on the fourth and the fifth. Just depends on how it kind of plays out. I want two, at least you know, top two tier pitchers. By the end, like I want one. I think Clevenger's a top tier pitcher outside of like the Cole Scherzers of the world. I think he's that next real good clump, like the Biebers. And then, and then I want one more of like the Strasburg Nolas, that kind of group. If I can get one of those, so one of if I can get two of like the top fifteen or twenty, I'm happy. And right now, I think I still can. But like I said, I haven't drafted from the top. That's what's fun about mock drafts, and it'll be fun to see how they change come February or so. So yeah, will be quite interesting. But uh, let's get back to the first base position. We did the three we got right. Freeman, Abreu, Aguilar, Carpenter for Toby. I had Olsen, Abreu, and Bell. Let's do three we got wrong at the first baseman, first base position. Toby, this is a guy I almost put down, but I think we can all agree we got this one wrong. Who is it? Yeah, I mean, I think we talked about him a little bit in just the overall misses, but Joey Votto uh, was definitely one. I think I had Votto as the number six first baseman. Um, and you know, I expected a little bit of a power bounce back from Votto. Thankfully I didn't have him a ton of places. I think I might've had him in one or two leagues. Um, but you know, and, and obviously it looks like the well is dry there, uh, for Votto. There's not much to say that the power is just not there. Even the batting average, um, you know, fell a lot. And, and I know, you know, he's had some quotes saying that he kind of figured it out towards the end of uh last year and, and he feels like he's got an approach that's going to work for him heading into 2020 and and i just say fool me once shame on what is it fool me once shame on you shame on me you say when you fool me twice shame on me Fa- fool me twice shame on joey Votto. so <laughs> i think um I, i'm just not i'm gonna be I'm, i don't know if i'll be totally out on Votto. you know depending on how far he falls but i just think you know, I think we've seen the best days of Joey Votto, and I think, I think it's just an empty profile um, at this point in time, and not one that I'm going to risk taking. So that was definitely a miss, uh, miss for me uh, this year. What about you? Yeah, my first miss, and I agree with Votto. I'm with you there. But my first miss is Pete Alonso. 
this one's pretty simple. The dude only hit 53 home runs, 120 ribbies, hit 260. Did everything like a top first baseman should do, except I didn't even have him ranked. I didn't I didn't think he'd play much out the gate. I figured he'd, he'd be more of a two-thirds of the season guy, and I didn't want to play that game. I didn't tr- Out of all teams to take the chance, I did not trust the Mets. And uh, sure enough, the Mets took the chance, and it paid off in diamonds. And I had none of those diamonds. I know there's other guys like Medica and others that loved – Loved him uh, in a big, big way, and I just did not buy in. I'm really curious to see where he goes in drafts this next season. But uh, heck of a bat. I had nowhere near the sights for him, and it sucks because you could have got him pretty darn cheap uh, going into last season and just got absolute gold. So I, I won't go too much deeper. It's pretty self-explanatory. He's going to be the rookie of the year most likely in the National League. Pete Alonzo, I had nowhere on my radar at all. Yeah. Uh, that's my that's my number two as well um on my list is is, is pete alonzo i i missed the boat on that one uh, and I, you know i i what kills me is i had an inkling because i think i mentioned this on the show before but when i was looking at him like it's so hard to figure out how prospects are going are gonna to do but we knew that he was going to mash it was just a matter of how much contact he made and the narrative was that he that he was really going to struggle with contact a lot. And it's not like he's like a contact champion, but when you look at his minor league profile, like there wasn't outrageous strikeout rates, right? He had a 26.4% strikeout rate in the majors. If you look at the minors last year, it was 25.9% with the Mets and AAA. Um, But the same year in AA, it was 18.3%, 14.9% the year before and 18.5% same year, and then 17.9%. So really well below league average strikeout rates in all but one year through the minors. And so I would looked at that, and I was like, oh, well, maybe he has a little bit more contact than we're giving him um, him credit for. But I just – I still was out. And I think it's – I have this, like, natural conservatism when it comes to uh, making fantasy baseball selections where I just have a really hard time drafting guys with uncertain – playing situations even if they have upside even if it's late in draft i love to like fill in every single position before i start taking chances and i think that's something that i'm I'm looking to change in my game a little bit and just make kind of try to make smart decisions about when to kind of go for an upside play and be comfortable trusting myself to be able to nab somebody later on or through the waiver wire who can fill in if that guy doesn't end up getting you know, the playing time that I'm hoping for. So Alonzo was also, for me, that was the, the second uh, first baseman that I missed as well. How about you? Yeah, my second one is Matty Carpenter. You got him right because you had nothing to do with him. I got him. I didn't own him anywhere, thank God, because I wasn't the only one in my drafts that apparently thought highly of him. But I had him ranked seventh. I had him ranked right before Abreu and Gallo, which uh, is not good. He uh, finished with 15 homers, hit 226. It was an ugly, ugly season. And, and, and I was thinking, okay, he had 21, 23, 36 home runs. Give me 25 to 30, and I'm happy. Like, I'm good there. I didn't expect the bouncy ball, of course. I wasn't going that route. But, like, you look at his X stats numbers, and it's disgusting. 22nd percentile exit velocity, 16th percentile hard hit rate, um, you know, X slug, X batting average, ninth percentile X batting average. Everything he did was bad. It was bad. His barrel rate was down to 7.8%, lowest of his career. Since they've documented, like I said, a hard hit rate, 31%. Uh, he walked less than he usually does. Everything you look at was just atrocious when it came to Matt Carpenter. And people kept saying, okay, it's coming. Because early in the year, 
you know, the numbers showed a, you know, potential change was coming and then it never came. And then the numbers started to get back to normal and it was just bad, bad, bad. His chase rate uh, went up a little bit. His zone swing rate was up. And so was his, like I said, his chase rate, his contact rates were down. He wasn't hitting the meatballs. And I think that's a really interesting stat, especially at a juice ball era. If you're, if you're getting a better meatball rate, you're going to start smoking things. I think that's one of the ones I actually started looking at more and more this past season that, that stood out. His ground ball rate went up uh, almost 6%, which is not good in a juiced ball era. So you just look at him left and right, and it was just bad all across the board. When his, um, you know, I always love looking at the similar batters to part, similar batters to Matt Carpenter this year. Curtis Granderson, Heimer Candelario, Robinson Chirinos, Eric Thames, Kevin Bezio. The Bezio one's not bad. That surprised me. But some of those other ones, not pretty at all. So Matt Carpenter was my number two. I wasn't buying into the monster season from 2018, but I was still buying into a pretty good season, and that did not happen. Who's your number three? Um, you know, and, and on Carpenter, I think it was something psychological for you in liking him because oh yeah, <laughs> didn't you, you, because you dropped you dropped him before he went on that big run. So yeah, yeah, I, there was something there. I mean, it's like it's like a double it's like a double whammy, yeah. Bubba. Well, um, I'm just glad I'm just glad I didn't own him. Like I had him ranked yeah. high, I I would have got him, but other people grabbed him before me. Thank God. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's interesting how that works, though. That's one thing that I'm like trying to figure out how to keep myself from doing, I'm actually reading like a book right now um, that's about like behavioral economics and like some of the biases that we have and trying to figure out like how we, you know, just trying to steer clear of, of, of falling into that trap that our mind often gets us into. So we'll see. I'll keep you posted. You'll, you'll, you'll have whether to, that happens or not. Yeah. You'll have to find it. Cause I just kind of, I don't make projections or any of that. I kind of, I go through numbers and I make my rankings more off of feel. I know you're more yeah. of a, a, da- a data guy and um, you actually make your projections or at least you do a, a, a conglomerate of things and make your projections that way. And I think it'd be fun if you did it where you couldn't see the names till it was all done. Yeah. And then there's your numbers. That's what it is. Absolutely. Yeah. And, That's that, what, and that I think yeah. is the, is the challenge is so many times like the projections are the best way to go, but then there's always examples of where yep. there, there's some sort of weakness in them. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, the people, people on the listening to the, listening to the podcast don't actually know this, but I'm actually a robot. <laughs> um, so yeah, a computer that makes a lot of errors. <laughs> uh, well, let's talk about error number three. Who was the third guy you got wrong? The, thir- the third, the third error, uh, error and, and clearly the most painful was uh, Max Muncie. Um, I was not in on Muncie. I did not own him anywhere. Um, it's not that I thought he was going to be terrible, but I just didn't. He outperformed what I thought he was going to do. And mm-hmm. um, I had some concerns about the contact in the profile, but he pretty much replicated what he did, um, you know, in 2018. And having been, uh, you know, having had kind of the Muncie bounce in 2018 and having had him uh, contribute greatly to my teams that year, I was, um, certainly, I was pretty, pretty sad that, um, you know, that he ended up doing, well, I wasn't sad that he ended up doing uh, doing so well, but that I, that I missed out on him, uh, this year. And so that was a little bit of a bummer not to have him, uh, any places, because I think just from a power perspective, if there was places where my teams were a little short this year, it was on power, which isn't necessarily surprising given, my approach to drafting a lot of times, but um, I definitely could have used Muncie on a, on a couple of my teams. So how about you? I, I imagine it's a similar 
uh, Maximus Muncy yes. situation for you at number it, three? It is a similar Maximus Muncy. Um, I had Bellinger and Muncy. Bellinger I've talked about before many times because I want everyone to realize that I admit when I'm wrong. But um, Max Muncy, this is a guy I wrote an article about. He wasn't worth his draft value. I spent time really digging into not liking Max <laughs> Muncy. And what it wasn't like that I didn't think he was a good player, and I wrote about that. My biggest concern was David Roberts and playing time with all the other players there. Roberts proved me wrong. He actually used his brain. And he played Muncie a lot more than I thought he would. I thought there'd be way more platooning. He played Muncie a ton at second base uh, in other positions besides, you know, going into the season, it looked like he'd just be at first base, maybe platooning with David Fries or something. Then he made a bunch of moves and things changed and the playing time was there. And then I got fooled. So if, if the playing time wasn't there, that was my biggest argument. And the playing time was there. And thus Max Muncie was a stud and I missed on Max Muncie. Yes, fun times. All right, let's head to the third base position. We'll talk about three we got right. We got some common denominators here. Let's start with your first one, Toby. Um, my first one um, for third base, um, the one I got right uh, was, again, this is a guy who had a terrific season. I had him in a few places. Everywhere I had him, I, I won. Uh, not surprisingly, and that's Anthony Rendon. Um, Rendon, I had him as my number six third baseman. So the first five were pretty set in terms of Jose Ramirez, Nolan Arenado, Alex Bregman, Manny Machado, and Javier Baez. I think all those guys were were second-round guys. But I had Rendon at six before guys like Vlad Jr. and Chris Bryan and Eugenio Suarez. Um, and some other guys. And so, um, and I ended up drafting him in, in at least a couple places in my dynasty league. I traded for him. I, I specifically targeted him for, um, a trade and that worked out well because I traded, uh, Matt Carpenter was one of the pieces that I traded, uh, to get him. Um, and so that is, um, yeah, that, that, uh, Rendon ended up working out really well for me. And I didn't, I mean, I think the thing, the value about Rendon even prior to this season is just the profile is, is fantastic. Um, when you look at the O swing has always been um, very, very good to, to good. Um, and then the contact rates are just uh, super strong, both in the zone um, and overall. Uh, the, big, the big difference this year was the increase in, in hard hit rate. He also has very low ground ball rates. I mean, everything that you're really looking for in a player he's getting, um, he moved. I think he's traditionally hit when, when Harper was around, he was hitting uh, fifth or, or sixth sometimes, maybe even second. And so batting uh, generally clean up in that lineup, uh, clean up or third uh, was just a really nice spot uh, for him to be in there. It, there was just so much to to love about Rendon. And I think we've probably seen the best season that he's going to have. I'm interested to see kind of where he ends up. But in some of the analyses that I've seen about players who benefited from um, the happy fun ball, he's definitely a guy who um, has, has kind of fallen in that category. And then when you look at the last uh, three years, including this year, I mean, there's pretty consistent – high batting averages from him 301 308 319 and that seems kind of reasonable overall 
But then when you look at the home run totals, you know, 25, 24, then 34. Before that, his max was 20 and 21. So he's actually a guy I think this is kind of like his peak value that we're seeing in in 2018. So he's probably not going to be a guy I have any shares of next year. I mean, he's going in the first round. It's not that I dislike that because I think he's a very solid performer. But I do think, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm probably not going to be that into him and probably have zero shares um, this year. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you on, on one of them that uh, would be Anthony Rendon as well. I had him him and Eugenio Suarez ranked right next to each other. I'll talk about Suarez later. But uh, Rendon is one. Is, I, I basically went into drafts going, I want one of these two. Mm. And I got one of those two pretty much everywhere I went. So I was very, very happy with that. I have a, I'm a, I have a very soft spot for Eugenio Suarez. Um, people say it can be a problem at times, but I will talk about him later. But uh, Rendon, 100% with you. you. You nailed everything about him. I'm real curious to see where he signs. Talk about a guy that uh, hit the perfect timing for the happy fun ball. It's uh, a free agent campaign. You can't ask for a, a better time to have the happy fun ball. So and, it'll be and real. defensively, yeah, he's nasty. Now. He's, yeah. a, he's, a, he's a heck of a ball player. Yeah, the, the power, we have not seen that from him. We'll have to see if it consistently be, is there. But uh, the gloves there, the average, he's always been a pretty good average guy. So uh, it'll be fun to see where he lands. I hope he goes back to Washington. I just don't mm. know if they, they will pay enough, but I think he, he'd be good there with Soto for a little while, a little while longer at least. But uh, Rendon will be my, my number one as well. Who's yeah, your number and two? I, and yeah. and this, the challenge with Rendon really quickly is he's like the one guy where I'm just not sure. It's like hard to identify who exactly is going to be in on him and where he could end up if he doesn't end up back with the Nationals. And obviously, like, he's not going to go after, I think, the seven-year $210 million offer they had. But they're kind of in a bind because they also have Strasburg, you know, who's kind of out there um, now as a free agent. And so it'll be really interesting to see what they, um, you know, what they what they end up doing, really. It's going to be uh, it's gonna be tough. No doubt about it. Who's your number two? Uh, my number two is um, somebody I'm always really happy when they fail. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm never <laughs> never happy when any player fails, but um, Chris Bryant is my number two. Uh, he was part of my bold predictions. I predicted that he would finish outside the top 10 third baseman, and he he did that at least according to, um, to the ESPN player rater. He was number 13. I think from an auction value standpoint, based on fan graphs, I think he finished number 10, but kind of identified ahead of time that I would use the player Raiders. So I felt uh, okay using that to judge it, but you know, Brian wasn't, he wasn't terrible. Um, and I feel like that's kind of the definition of Chris Brian at this point. It's like, he's good. He's not great, but he was a, you know, he was an MVP like four years ago now. And that's kind of like, that's his best season. Like we haven't really seen him approach that. And you know, his batting average um, was 282 this year. He's kind of outperformed it a couple years. So maybe that's something that he just uh, he just does. But, um, you know, I don't I just don't necessarily see how his profile really um, like I don't see it as being something overwhelmingly special. And he continues to go really high, uh, really high in drafts. And so I just don't um, you know, even Steamer loves him. You know, they have him mm -hmm. as like 
you know, you know, the, the 273 with 31 home runs, 101 runs and 91 RBIs and four stolen bases. I think the challenge for me is I don't think the average is going to be super high. And I, I do think that there's a floor there that's like at league average. And then I think he's not stealing bases anymore. Um, and he hasn't had more than 77 RBIs since, uh, since 2016. And so obviously like if they slot him in as the three hitter in that lineup next year with, um, uh, David, David Ross is the new manager. I mean, that might change things a little bit, but I'm just not, not a big Chris Bryant fan. He seems to be a guy where the name adds a lot of value. And, and for me, that's a, that's a losing proposition. So that was my number two hit was just steering clear of anything related to Chris Bryant. How about you? I know you're going to be really excited about the second one. Yes. My second one is a Eugenio Suarez, a man that hit 49 home runs this year. And hit 271 along the way, driving him over 100 runs. This man is a beast. 34 home runs in 18. It increased every year. He, it, it, the scary thing is, is he definitely was aided by the, the happy fun ball. I'm not going to say he wasn't. He's still, I think, a 35-plus home run hitter. But his strikeout rate did go up uh, 5% from the previous season. If you look at his walk rate, his barrel rate is the highest of his career. Went from 9.7% in 18 to a 14% barrel rate. That is Ooh. insane. That is quite the jump that even the fun bouncy ball shouldn't have as much of an effect. Like, obviously, the more you barrel it, the harder it's going to go. But if he barreled the regular ball 14% of the time, I think he's going to have quite a jump in the long ball. Just throwing that out there. Um, like, you just look at all of his numbers. His his uh, ex-Woba on contact was 460. His hard hit rate was 41%. This dude is an absolute monster. He had a 32% fly ball rate, which is the best uh, of his career. His line drive rate was 24%. He was pulling the ball 50% of the time. Previous pull rate, 39.4%. He upped it to 50%. For those keeping track at home, when you barrel the ball, you hit it hard, and you pull it, you hit way more home runs. That is the recipe for success. And um, he did all of that this last year. So maybe he wasn't the biggest, one of the bigger benefactors of the happy fun ball. I didn't look into the distance of his home runs. I didn't go that deep. Maybe they were, you know, he had a couple, a lot of short ones, and maybe he was the benefactor. But if you look just overall way he hit the ball better this season, he uh, was a massive, massive improvement. Uh, he, he similar profile of, of Matt Chapman, a couple other goofy ones that I, I won't go into because that just looks – I don't know how they got those names to go with uh, Eugenio Suarez. But the dude's a monster. I'm a big fan of his. He's 28, still going to be hitting in Great American Small Park, which is always a great place to hit in, especially against some of the pitchers in that division. I still expect 35 plus home runs, regardless of what happens next year. You know, 270-ish average makes sense. You look at Steamer's projections; they got it for 35, 83, and 95, and then a 252 average. I'd expect a better average than that. But 35 plus home runs for Eugenio Suarez. I think a lot of people are still going to be very bullish on him. Uh, they're not going to believe he did what he did type thing, and they're going to have a lot of guys ahead of him. So I think he might still get a deal on a guy like Eugenio going into the next year. And he's a guy that I loved this past year. It was Rendon, it was Suarez, and the next guy I talk about were my three favorite third basements. And uh, Suarez is a a big one that I will have high on my radar again next year. We'll just see how high everybody else is as well. So we, you got to love Eugenio. Yeah, big fan of that one. I like your number three. Who you got there? Oh man, my number three is is one of my favorite uh, my favorite hits of the year, and that is the one and only Hunter Dozier. So Dozier was a guy that um, even towards the end of last season, the 2018 season, I kind of identified 
I like to talk about the, uh, let me see if I can get this right, my own like saying, but, um, you know, when I think about uh, what I'm looking for in a hitter, there's kind of like the four legs of the stool. And the four legs of the stool are good plate discipline, uh, good contact skills. Those are two legs. Uh, hitting the ball in the air a lot, so a low ground ball rate. And then quality of contact. So like hard hit rate or barrel rate, things of that nature. Although barrel kind of combines the last two. But those are the things that, I, that I'm looking for. And when I saw Dozier, I saw a guy who, um, towards the end of last year, the contact skills were great. He was hitting the ball really hard. And then if you looked at his stat cast metrics, he had a max exit view of around 115 miles per hour, um, which, is, which is pretty, pretty, pretty solid, if not elite. Um, and then he was also starting to hit the ball on the ground less. Um, and so he was hitting the ball in the, in the air more. And so really heading into this year, the one thing that he needed to change was to improve his play discipline. Now, I'd be lying to you if I knew if I said that I knew that that was going to happen. But, um, you know, those are the types of guys that I like to bet on is a guy who really only needs to make one change to his um, performance in order to take that next step forward. And at least for a large part of the season, that's what Dozier did. His play discipline improved dramatically. And then, you know, he his expected batting average and his expected metrics were a lot higher than his actual metrics. And then he started to see that positive regression based on those skills and, and was a solid contributor throughout the year. I mean, in the end, like he definitely struggled in the second half. He, I don't know if he ever fully recovered from that initial injury he had in June. He just didn't seem to be the same guy as a result of that as well. And so, you know, uh, he was, he didn't end the season like on the highest note in the world, but overall he was, he was, I think a big part of why I was successful because I had him in virtually every single non like keeper league. I think I actually had him in every league except for two. So like 12 or 14 or something like that. Or I guess I didn't have him in some DCs, but he was a guy that I really, really liked and, um, definitely uh, more than return that like ADP of 500, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, price that you paid. So I was really happy with uh, Hunter Dozier, one of my favorite hits uh, of the entire uh, draft season, if not the favorite. So how about you? Yeah, Dozier was awesome. I remember checking him out early on, got him on waiver wires because he wasn't drafted in many places and watching his early, like just a stack has hard hit rates, all that good stuff. Dude was a freak and uh, very, very talented. I was I was impressed with him because I, I learned a lot about him also doing DFS daily. And the fact his uh, splits, he was much better versus righties than lefties, which shocked the living heck out of me. Mm. But uh, he crushed righties power-wise and lefties. Maybe it adjusted as the season went on. But early on, he was a righty masher over lefties. And uh, it was very, very impressive from the young stud. Um, my number three is Matty Chapman. Won another gold glove again. Just, just what they do. You know, it's what he does. Puts him on the mantle. But he also hits bombs now. Thirty-six home runs this year. He hit two forty-nine with a two seventy BABIP. That will change next year, folks. If people tell you watch out for his batting average, he's never had a BABIP even close to this low. He in, in two thousand seventeen and eighty-four games, he had one at two ninety. Like he's going to have a three hundred plus BABIP because it's very hard for a guy that has a hard hit rate of forty-nine percent and an exit velo of 93% that barrels it up over 12% of the time to have a BABIP of 270. It's just not going to happen uh, time and time again. It's, it's a thing we've talked about with Matty Olson is his ground ball rate. You know, 42% ground ball rate compared to 41 last year. 
he's got to improve that. He did improve his fly ball rate up to 28% last year, which helped with his um, his home runs, obviously. But if he can just, you know, maybe go 33 34% fly ball, take that ground ball down to about 36%, whoa, Nelly. The sky is the limit for this kid because he all he's done in his entire career, especially of late, you know, last year I said 49%, 48% the year before. His last two full seasons in baseball, he just hits the cover off the baseball, and he's just getting better and better. He is only 26 years old. I am a huge fan of Matty Chapman. I um, I took him as a, a preseason bold predictions. I had him, Matt Olson, uh, and Chris Davis homering more than the big three in New York, and that happened because they're always hurt. Mm-hmm. And they also just dropped bombs. So um, I, I'm a big fan of Matt Olson again this year. I mean, Matt Chapman. It was Chapman, Rendon, and Suarez were the three boys I wanted. And um, I had a lot of them. I had some corner infield action with Matty Chapman. So lots of fun with those guys. And Oakland's a fun team to root for. I don't know if you saw it today, Toby, but even Marcus Simeon is one of the three finalists for the AL MVP this season. Really? I did not see that. Yeah, That's the A's awful. are getting love. Yeah. The I two, mean, the, he was, he was, he was so a beast. Good. He was so good. Yep. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about three third basements. We got Ron. We have the same one at number one. Who you got? Uh, my number one that I got wrong was Vlad Jr. Um, I had Vlad Jr. Um, as my seventh third baseman after Anthony Rendon. Um, and you know, I only, I only ended up getting Vlad Jr. in one spot. I think after he got injured, I think I got him around like pick 70 or something like that, but I definitely was expecting a lot more from him, um, this year. And, I just kept on holding on and waiting and waiting and waiting. And he definitely had some spurts. And I don't doubt for a second that he's going to be a very good major league hitter. But I just think, you know, the ground ball rate is is an issue. He hits a lot of balls on the ground. And defenses are better um, uh, in the majors. And they shift more. And they just have a better understanding of where players are likely to hit the ball. And so... Um, I think he will make some adjustments. I do have to say I really enjoyed uh, the video of him, you know, because he had those comments about, well, I, I don't know if they were his comments, but there was the article about how, um, you know, he hadn't really worked out before, uh, mm-hmm. and, you know, and he was going to work out. And I just loved the video that they showed of him working out where he was jumping rope. And he definitely looked trimmer than than he normally does, but it kind of reminded me a little bit of the Miguel or the Miggy Cabrera video from last summer where they like showed Miggy like working out. And I like watched the video and I was like, he literally looks like, like a 45 year old father working out. Like this is not, (laughs) this is not a appealing working out video. And I mean, obviously like Vladito's, he definitely looked uh, more athletic than Miggy looked, but it was also like, you know, you're 20 years old and you're jumping rope and you know, your jumping rope, like, like there was nothing like wonderful about it, but I just love kind of from a narrative perspective, like them kind of putting that out and like, I'm doing the work, I'm doing the work. So I think he's going to be great. I'm sure I'm not going to draft him at all next year. And, you know, he'll end up doing just because of where he's going. I mean, in the two early mocks, I think he was going around pick like in the low thirties that that may fall a little bit, but I don't think I'll have him next year either. Um, but he was definitely a, um, uh, an interesting, uh, yeah, he was definitely a miss. How about you? You had the same. Yeah, he he was my miss as well. He was a guy I talked about with um, you know Fernando Tatis. When we talked about the draft with uh, Pete Alonso. I wasn't in on a lot of prospects unless your name Vlad Guerrero Jr. Because I actually thought 
the Blue Jays would have him up in a couple weeks. Like, I didn't think it'd be a, a big, drawn-out saga, which it turned into. And then he finally comes up, and he hit much more of a rookie wall than I expected. I expected him to be much more successful when he came up there. And so that was egg on my face. I had him eighth at third base, right in front of Matt Chapman, two behind uh, Suarez and Rendon. So, uh, yeah, you, you pretty much nailed everything else. I think he'll have a much better year this year, but where he's going to be getting drafted, very unlikely I'll have him because we just talked about where I took Tatis in the in the, uh, two, the pitcher list mocks. Uh, I'm going to take a pitcher on the way back. There's no way Vladdy makes it back to me. Not a chance. So uh, I won't have Vlad there. And I, I'm pretty sure if I do my normal strategy on the back end, I'll be going pitching again. So I won't be taking Vlad. It'd be, it's going to be very, very rare if I ever get Vlad in a draft. And uh, it's a shame. He's a lot of fun, but I'm not uh, not on board with that one. Who's your number two? Uh, my number two is Jeff McNeil. Uh, McNeil was a guy I didn't like heading into this year. Um, it just see <clears throat> what kills me is he's another one like. The, the ones that I hate are just the ones where, like, you didn't have to pay a high price. It's kind of like the Pete Alonzo. Like, you didn't have to pay a high price. And there was just such an obvious – it was just such an obvious draft choice. Like, Jed Lowry was injured. You know, he was going to get reps at second base. He's got this high batting average that he's always had. But, like, when I dove into it, I just – I didn't – I didn't see that happening. I didn't see the quality of contact. Like, the hard hit rate was really low. And – um, you know, I didn't believe the seven stolen bases, which I was actually right about that piece of it, but I didn't think he was going to hit as well for average. I definitely didn't see the power coming. So I just thought it was going to be, if it was going to be average, it was going to be empty average. And that was, and that was, it couldn't have been further, uh, from, from the case. He just is one of those guys who, who can do it, um, who makes a ton of contact, doesn't strike out, puts the ball in play, puts the ball in play, you know, well, and, um, you know, and that, that means something. And so uh, he's definitely a guy that I missed. I missed out on, on getting a lot of value in a lot of drafts because he was, he wasn't exactly free, but he was definitely going in like the 250 to 300 range, even after Jed Lowry um, was going to miss some time at the beginning of the season with the injury. So that's one that I definitely um, am kicking myself for because who couldn't use that type of a batting average on their team? What about you? Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, McNeil was a, a, uh... Special player last year. Uh, mine's Chris Bryant because I had Bryant as the fourth third baseman off the board right in front of Suarez and Rendon. Oh, Baba. And um, good thing I don't have him anymore because I told you <laughs> I was trying to target, but I have him ranked fourth. <laughs> and, you know, you go back and look at his stats. It's like, okay, 31 homers, 108 runs scored, 282 average, only 77 ribbies. That's not ideal. He actually overall-wise had a decent season. Now where you had to draft him, not so much because he's the back end of the first, early second round. You're taking him quite early for that production. You wanted five categories. You did not get him. And when you look at his overall stat cast page, his X stats, like he got, he was fortunate last year. Yeah. Let's just say fortunate last year. (laughs) It was uh, not the ideal setup there. When you, when you really break it all down with um, Chris Bryant, Uh, there could be a bounce back coming this year. I just think we expected a lot more with him. I probably won't own him again this next year because I know I'm, I'm already hearing people talking up Chris Bryant yet again. But um, it's it's been weird. You know, 31 homers is nice and all, but 31 homers isn't that, uh, that unpopular anymore. So Chris Bryant was one that I got wrong last season. Who's the yeah, third one that, that you got that's wrong? That's a good point, too, is just like um, the 31 home runs mask a little bit of the issue because it's like he hit 31 home runs, but which sounds like a lot, but given the happy fun ball, it's not that. 
happened. I think he's mm-hmm. a guy who is going to get hurt again by that. Like the metrics just aren't like they the were bad. High, like the X, the, the stat cast data isn't high. Like, I feel like he's a guy who I would not be surprised if he finished with like 24 home runs, you know, yep. uh, next year uh, in 600 plate appearances. So he's, he's going to be a fun one to see what the Cubs do. Cause they're going to either trade him or sign him pretty soon. That's going to yeah. be fun. Who's your yeah. number three. Um, I would trade him. <laughs> um, <laughs> my three, I'm going to go with another combo, uh, a combo miss this time. So like think of the opposite of, of, a, of an ice cream sandwich, whatever that is, this is uh, definitely what I got here. And these guys were going about the same spot in drafts and I own them in a few places at least. Um, and that's Travis Shaw and Justin Turner. Uh, Shaw was just God awful. I mean, that's just one of those ones where like he had a couple years of pretty consistent, good performance. It actually looked like he was on the upswing a little bit. Um, and, and kind of contributed in every category except for maybe batting average, but seemed a little unlucky in 2018. But it was just terrible. Like, it was just a horrendous display, like, from start to finish. And it's just one of those things where you're like, oh, man, I messed that one up badly. So that was one of them. And then Turner. Turner didn't have a terrible um, season, uh, you know, but he hit 290, and I think I was I was expecting more of what we've seen the last couple years with the 312 and the 322 batting average. Um, I just feel like the 290 is solid, but where you were picking him in drafts, knowing that you know there's the there's the likelihood that he's going to miss some time, the power numbers aren't going to be insane, neither are the counting stats. Like he's never hit triple digits with any of his counting stats, and so you were really relying on that batting average to uh to to lift up that value so the 290 while solid is not is not is not what i was looking for necessarily and then the 27 home runs was all right but you know 80 runs 67 uh rbi so in total like 147 uh runs in rbi you weren't expecting a lot of stolen bases it just wasn't you know like a lot of what we look for in turner was still there there was definitely a dip in contact, and I think some of that may be, you know, injury-related. He had some knee issues, and then he had some, uh, I think, like a wrist issue or something like that throughout the course of the year. So, um, but just overall, like, I think disappointing. Like, there was a lot of guys that went in that area that could have gotten a lot more value, like kind of the 90 to 110 range. Um, and so getting him was also a disappointment. It wasn't huge. It didn't cost you any type of leagues, but, like, really at least give me – the type of batting average that I was hoping for in that spot. And, and he didn't do that. So he's another guy that I'll consider a miss. So those are two guys that kind of went in the like 80 to 80 to 110 range that play the same position that I missed for different reasons. Um, but th- those are the guys. How about you? What was your number three? I had a feeling you'd have Travis Shaw. I remember we talked about him many times last yeah. season, and I saw you tweet about him many times last season, hoping the comeback was there. Just holding on to hope. Just holding on to it. Mine was one that, if people listen to my context, I wrote about him as a, as a sleeper, third baseman. It wasn't so much that I missed him that I didn't like him. It's I had him ranked 18th at third base coming into the season, and I'm pretty sure most had him there or even farther back, most likely. And his name is Rafael Devers. And he absolutely had a season to remember. 32 homers, 129 runs, 115 RBIs, even stole eight bases to go with a 311 batting average. If you look at his exit velo and all that fun stuff, hard hit rate of 47.5, um, exit velo of 92%. 
And he, he did he did outperform his X stats, but not like crazy. Instead of hitting 311, 295, that's still very, very solid. Um, some of the other numbers, you know, 377 Woba, 360 X Woba. Not crazy stuff there. This kid is super talented. And it's been something we've known forever. His hard hit rate throughout the minors and everything was just great. It was just a matter of putting it all together. And he did a lot of that this, this year. A lot better fly ball rates, line drive rates. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, you look at his pop-up numbers, it's crazy. He he adjusted his swing type. He um, barreled it up a lot the same. So I'm wondering, he didn't like have big uh, advances in the barrel rate, but his hard hit rate, it jumped 6% this past year. He struck out 7% fewer, which is tremendous for this young kid. Because I say young kid, he's 23 years old. He's uh, going to get better and better. He's two years older than the phenom known as Juan Soto. But still, 23 is very young in this day and age. So uh, Rafael Devers, he's, he's going uh, – he's still actually available in the, the pitcher list draft, but he's going to be going second, third round with a lot of 15-teamers. The kid is very, very good. He's going to be in a very good lineup. J.D. Martinez is coming back. That was announced today. Um, I, I missed him for the fact that I only had him ranked 18th, and he was one of the top third basemen in all of baseball. So I missed him as uh, he just dominated and would have been a heck of a – he would have been like the Josh Bell of third basemen if you would have got him where you could have got him. So that's my guy. All right. That wraps up our first base, third base, corner infield discussion. Before we wrap up the podcast, what are some of your final thoughts on third base or the corner infield, I guess, and maybe looking ahead to 2020 from what you've seen so far? Obviously, we'll preview 2020 in the next month or so. But uh, what what have you seen so far? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I touched on a little bit at the beginning, but I think for first base, uh, very – I, I don't even know if top heavy is the right word because I just think that there's, there's very little depth at the position. There's very little um, value in terms of like stolen bases and batting average for Roto leagues. Um, and so you really are talking about kind of like a, a Freeman and uh, Bellinger uh, and everybody else um, type of situation. And so for me, I think um you know, I'm probably not going to get Bellinger or Freeman. And so what I'm going to be looking for is um, I'll probably be looking at a lot of Abreu. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, his early ADP is about 104. I got him in one of my, my, my only real draft that I've done so far around that point. I think there's a lot of value with Abreu going right there. Or else I think I'm going to wait and, um, and, and go for maybe one of the later round power only types. Uh, Danny Santana is also interesting at an ADP of 204. Um, if he stays around that, I imagine he's going to push up a little bit as people kind of dig in and, and see a little bit of Javi Baez maybe in his profile. Um, but he might be a guy that I, I, I might target as a first baseman. Um, some other guys that come to mind, Christian Walker, Renato Nunez, CJ Crone, they all should have decent playing time next year. I think they have, you know, depending on which ball, they have pretty solid uh, power potential. Uh, they're not going to hurt you in batting average, except for maybe Nunez. But I actually liked a lot of the improvement that I saw uh, from him uh, last year. So I don't think they're going to like destroy you in batting average, but they should provide some home runs. I'll probably have a ton of CJ Crone if he stays where he's going right now. Um, I think there's a couple guys that I'm kind of out on based on where they're going. Pete Alonzo, his early ADP is 44, but I've been seeing him go earlier. Uh, I think he's a guy that's a major home run regression um, candidate. Uh, for a variety of different reasons. I think we've covered on this. And then I think Carlos Santana as well. Like you got to love what he did last year, but 
the beauty of Carlos Santana is the fact that he's always going around like ADP of 200. And right now in, early, in two early mocks, he was going at around 120. And I'm just not, I'm not going to bet on that kind of career year that he had happening again. And I think a lot of the value kind of gets sucked out at that point. So that's like a little bit of an overview at first base and kind of what I'm looking at right now. Uh, third base is a little similar. I think there's a lot more depth, but it really falls off after pick 90. Um, and I think similarly, it's not a great spot uh, for average and stolen bases. So I think you're going to see a lot of third basemen go up to that pick 90. And then there's just kind of like blah. Uh, and some of the values that I saw based on the two early mock drafts, I do love um, I do love Jose Ramirez at pick 17. I think if you can get him in the second round, I think that's solid. Um, just because even in a year where he struggled like he- all hell in the first half, he still redeemed himself because he can, he's just one of the streakiest hitters that you'll find. Uh, Yohan Moncada, I like his value a lot um, at around pick 90. Uh, Al Melkier had a really good article on Fangraphs. He had a couple really good articles on Fangraphs. One of them was comparing Moncada and Chris Bryant, both in terms of like skill and uh, ADP and how Moncada is going about 40 picks later. And I think in a lot of ways is a better value than Brian is. Uh, and then Will Myers has dropped all the way down to 190. And I think if you're looking for speed from a position that you're maybe not expecting it from, I think he could be really good. Um, although he may have lost his third base eligibility. He may just be outfield depending on your league. So look for that. And then I mentioned Renato Nunez. I think Yandy Diaz is a really nice candidate. I drafted him in one league. He had an early, too early mock draft of 267. I think he's going to, he's shown some really good signs and I think he's primed for a good season if he can stay healthy. And then Tommy Edmond is a guy that I think also um, just has a lot of the tools and maybe you won't get it from other guys in the third base position. And then the guys that I'm kind of out on, uh, Vlad Jr. at 34, Manny Machado at 37, Brian at 47. Um, and then even Hunter Dozier, the love of my life at 128. I just think you're losing a lot of the value and he's not going to contribute in the categories that matter, matter most. I think there's just better options there, but I do think like overall from a roster construction standpoint, um, you know, and that's really what I'm focused on heading into the year is how, how to construct my roster in a way that addresses some of the, uh, from some of the scarce resources from like a stolen base and average perspective. I think you really need to think about who you're going to draft or who you're planning to draft at first base, third base, and CI because there's not a lot of guys that provide stolen bases and there's not a lot of guys who provide average. And so if you are going to have those B zeros in those categories, you're really going to rely heavily on your outfield, your second base, your shortstop, your middle infielder for that stolen bases and that batting average. And that's just a lot, a lot of pressure to kind of have that – to place on just kind of three positions in your roster in addition to like your utility. And so I just think you really need to think about how you're going to construct your roster and which guys you, you might be able to slip in there that can provide some stolen bases and batting average. So, you know, that could give some, a little bit more, uh, a little bit of more oomph to guys like Will Myers, if he does have third base eligibility, Justin Turner again, and like even guys like John Birdie, if it looks like he's going to get uh, consistent playing time, you may have to get creative in terms of taking some risks to try to fill those gaps because really there's there's very little um, in kind of those three positions, the first base, third base, and CI uh, that will be able to contribute to the overall balance of your team. Yeah, when I'm looking at the, the corner infield positions, I'm not – it'd be nice to get stolen bases, but I know it's so hard to find them. Uh, some guys that stood out to me in the two early mocks is 
Goldschmidt's down to 66th overall. I probably won't reach for him there, but to get that kind of a drop off on a guy is very interesting. You mentioned Abreu. Abreu and Olsen are going right next to each other. Two guys I've been a fan of. I, it it sucks Trey Mancini's going so high now. He was a guy I absolutely loved as a sleeper. But if you're looking for some value, uh, Ryan McMahon getting Coors action again about pick 180 has my attention. I really want to watch spring training because if you can get Nate Lowe around pick 200, mm-hmm. I think that's a, a super, super good one to like there. Renato Nunez, you mentioned him. CJ Crone, those are guys I was all over last season, off and on at times. Big fans of them. Uh, Garrett Cooper is a guy to keep an eye on about pick 310. If you're late in a draft looking for power, he might hurt you in a couple of other places, but he could be a, a nice power source late in your draft. Then when you look at the third base position, some names that stood out, these will change because Rafael Devers is going ahead of Rendon right now. I don't see that lasting long. But you can still get Chapman at a decent number, about 67 or 80, but I'd rather get Moncada at 87. That one is very, very strong. Um, Moustakis at 130. I'm curious to see where he lands. But Miguel Sano at 167, this guy, once he got healthy again this year, super, super good. And I, I like his upside big time over. Some of those guys like – Josh Donaldson is going to pick 90. I'll take Miguel Sano over Donaldson every day of the week. You can name the number right now, and, and, I, and I'll take that deal. So I, I like Sano a lot in, in that situation. And some other values, um, I know you like Hunter Dozier, and you talked about you won't take him because of that pick. There's no need to pick take Hunter Dozier at pick 129 when you can get J.D. Davis at 206. They're almost the same player. Uh, that's just my two cents. Uh, Renato Nunez, you mentioned him already. Um, a couple other guys, maybe if you're going deep, Tommy Edmond, I love. We saw him play some great ball towards the end of the season. As Drew Cabrera, Marvin Gonzalez, always nice middle infield guys. But we'll have to kind of wait and see where some of these other guys land because there are some nice deep options here, depending on where they um, they fall in your team builds, as you were mentioning. All right, that'll wrap us up. Episode 12 of Bubba and the Bat Flip in the books. Any final thoughts, Toby? Uh, nope. Uh, it, uh, thanks everybody uh, so much for listening. Bubba, thank you for your, uh, your patience as you, uh, as I had to, I had to delay the start uh, a little bit there um, no to hang out with, uh, with my, with my family. And uh, I appreciate you, uh, you giving me that opportunity. And as always, it is awesome to, uh, to share the podcast with you. Yep. No doubt about it. I've been looking forward to this. We had a couple weeks off for uh, traveling and whatnot. So it's fun to get back into record a show and talk some baseball and we'll be back at it hopefully next week we'll see what the schedules look like and we'll do middle infield we'll do second base and shortstop and uh, i tweeted it out we didn't get any responses this week but if you guys have any specific players for the middle infield next week let us know and we can dig into them a little more for you we will do a 2020 preview much more in depth in the in the coming weeks to month or so but this is just kind of another way to look back and, and see some things good and bad not all bad but to see a little bit of everything and kind of get us ready as we're doing more mock drafts. And we'll have more of the uh, pitcher list mock to talk about next week for sure. As um, Al, um, Mike Gianella took Jose Altuve after my Fernando Tatis Jr. pick. So we'll check that out more in depth next week as well. But until then, you can find Toby on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. I am at BDNTrick. And this is Bubba and the BatFlip, episode 12. Catch you guys later. That is going to wrap us up for episode 100, episode 100 of the Bat Flip and the Crazy, uh, Bat Flip Crazy podcast. I can't even, 
uh, remember what the podcast is is called. It's been so many podcasts. Um, as always, it's awesome to share the podcast with Bubba. Uh, hope you enjoyed the contact going over first base and third base in the corner infield uh, positions. Uh, hopefully learning some lessons from previous years and looking forward to next. Uh, we'll also be covering second base, shortstop, and middle infield coming up. Uh, we'll cover outfield, catcher, all of, the, all of that jazz as well as we kind of head deeper and deeper into the offseason and then turn our attention exclusively to 2020 drafts. So, um, yeah, thank you so much for listening again, for being a part of this amazing uh, fantasy baseball community, for supporting the podcast, for supporting me. Uh, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate it and appreciate the opportunity to do these podcasts and provide this content to you. Uh, and hopefully, hopefully it's helpful. So uh, thanks so much. Best of luck with your fantasy baseball research. Take care and be kind to one another.